I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking to Amanda Berlin. Amanda is the lead incident detection engineer for Womira and the CEO and owner of the nonprofit corporation Mental Health Hackers. She's the author of a blue team best practices book called Defensive Security Handbook, Best Practices for Securing Infrastructure, and is the co-host of Breaking Down Security Podcasts and writes for several blogs. Amanda is an avid volunteer and mental health advocate. She's presented at a large number of conventions, meetings, and industry events such as DerbyCon, O'Reilly Security, GERCon, and DEFCON. In this episode, we discuss her start in help desk, speaking about mental health, depression and anxiety, men's reluctance to report health issues, neurodiversity, how organizations can encourage self-care, using medication, the mental health hackers organization, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Also, just a quick note, this is yet another episode that we're talking about mental health. This podcast information is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We make no representation and assume no responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained in or available through this podcast. This is not medical advice. Please speak to your physician before embarking on any treatment plan. And never, ever disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking medical treatment because of something you heard on this podcast. Now let's get to it. Well, Amanda, thank you for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, although we were just talking before we hit record that it's a little bit more sunny and warm here where, where you are in Ohio, I, I take it, where it's a little bit more uh, dreary and cold. Yeah, it's it's the whole uh, wet, gross uh, between our summer and, and winter type weather. It's, it's when everybody starts to be complaining about how we get to st- be stuck inside for the next four months. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a good thing we haven't been stuck inside for the last seven, so yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I uh, I definitely want to dig in a little bit more about that, you know, because I, I do, I've suffered from seasonal uh, affected disorder for years, mm-hmm. and this is, this is one of the first podcasts that I'm reframing in, in very specific topics, in particular around mental health. But first, before we get into that, I do want to know a little bit more about your background, and so maybe you can tell people, you know, how you got to where you are and what some of the things that you work on a, on a daily basis in cybersecurity. Oh, right. Um, so I, let's see here, where do I want to start? <laughs> um, I started in help desk, um, kind of worked my way, way up through like sysadmin, netadmin, um, that kind of stuff, worked for ISPs and hospitals and all that kind of stuff. And about, gosh, I want to say about eight years ago now, nine years ago, um, I finally realized there was a big need I mean, there was a big need for security before then, right? Um, But I didn't know that it was an actual community um, up until that point. I went to my first conference um, and then it went all downhill from there. I kind of just got sucked into this whole security scene. What was Um, that that first conference? uh, DerbyCon 2. Yeah, that'll do. If you go to ShmooCon or DerbyCon, it's kind of addictive. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, pretty much. And then, yeah, just from there on out, I I was hooked. I just 
fell in love with the industry and the people in it and, and all the amazing things, you know, that everybody's trying to accomplish. Um, and just like we were talking about before, before we started recording, like I, I had never spoken before, honestly. And I, and I was, you know, finally getting up on stage and talking and I did like some basic talks on how hackers are awesome. And then, um, I started like going into more technical topics like phishing and, um, like detection and, and defense and stuff like that, the stuff that I was working on day to day. Um, and then I was asked to give my first keynote and this was three years ago now, three, four years ago. And that was at B-Size Nashville. And, you know, up to that point, I was doing the technical talks and stuff. And I wanted something kind of big picture to talk about that would help everybody. And I had recently posted on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff about like the issues I was dealing with, with depression and anxiety. And I was amazed by the response um you know half the people are like oh you look so happy how could you be depressed (laughs) 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 which is seems to be a common a common thing (laughs) um and uh other people are like yeah you know i've been struggling with the same kind of stuff this would be a really cool thing if you could cover it. So I kind of dove in and, you know, did a bunch of medical paper reading um, and found that like people in STEM actually have higher occurrences of mental health issues. Um, I think it's just like our, our brains are, uh, you know, smart enough to start being like self-aware and then we start self-medicating. Um, <laughs> uh, and there's actually papers that have been done on, um, uh, what's called the Savannah, Savannah interaction hypothesis, something like that. Um, and it talks about how people with higher IQs, uh, tend to self-medicate and like, uh, experience mania and depression and anxiety and stuff more. So that was my first talk that I did on it. And, I was amazed at, at how many people would come up to me afterwards and be like, thank you. Like I, I thought I was struggling alone. Um, I, you know, I never thought about all of, you know, all of these symptoms that I was having as being a part of why I was struggling. Um, and it, it wasn't like I'm going up there as a SME saying, Hey, I am a mental health expert. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you? No, it was me just going up there and saying, this is what my experience has been. And here's some of the reading I did. And it just kind of opened like a floodgate. So I, I usually like would retire a talk every, like, I don't know, I give it two times, right? Because they're always recorded. (laughs) Yeah. Like you record them, you can only give it so many times without getting old. And, uh, but this one, I'm like, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to retire this talk. Like, I'm just going to keep on giving it as long as somebody gives me a platform to do it. Because, you know, if I could just reach one more person that comes into the audience, you know, that that's one more person that, you know, may go out and seek help or, you know, figure out, you know, some stuff on their own or, or whatever, you know, realize that they aren't alone, like struggling, dealing with this kind of stuff. And, um, after like a year of doing that, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I think maybe I can reach more people 
in the space. So that's when I kind of uh, started Mental Health Hackers, and then we've just kind of gone through there. So yeah, I mean, it's it's you know definitely want to talk about Mental Health Hackers, but just that the initial thing. It's it's interesting when you kind of look at the parallels of what we do, you know, when it comes to like, say things like threat research, vulnerable research, or just, you know, man- mm-hmm. managing day-to-day security operations where you're like, you know, a singular event might not necessitate a response where you have to say, this is a pattern. Right. Um, and that's where it's interesting. We start doing threat intel sharing is we see, okay, maybe is it across an industry or size or ge- geographic thing is, oh, wow, we're all seeing the same IOCs. This is something we need to address. And I almost feel like the same thing happened when I started talking about mental health was, was like, people were like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm experiencing the same thing too. And it, I thought I was alone and it, it really, that, I think that's what drew the parallel to me to start speaking about it. It's like, you know, yeah. this is threat intel sharing. So the more we share about our journeys, other people say, yeah, that happened to me too. Here's how I've dealt with it. Or here's where I've been struggling. Here's what hasn't worked. Here's what worked. You know, so it's, it's, it's so important for me to, to get people talking about this because I feel like the, there is a stigma, which mm-hmm. is just there. Um, oh, yeah. It, and it, it, I think hurts us from our, our professional and personal growth. But I guess, you know, in, in your research of this, what, what were some of the things that you identified as, or, or thoughts of at least why there's been this stigma? What you know, what drives people not to talk about this? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, uh, you know, our our industry is what like at this point maybe ninety percent male. Um, I think you're being and, overly generous, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah. Ninety. All right. Oh, somewhere up there. Yeah. Um, men are less likely to report um any mental health problems so when you look at like the statistics of how many men we have in the industry versus you know the fact that you know all of us sit behind a computer all the time and you know the variety of social issues <laughs> that so many of us have um and you know we we also um uh tend to draw a crowd that tends to work hard and we're problem fixers, right? So we think we can fix our own problems and not have to work, you know, don't have to bug anybody else about trying to help us. Um, and, and I think it's just a lot of that kind of stuff combined. Um, it just exacerbates, you know, the problems that we're dealing with. Yeah, you know, even like when you look at things like the OSCP exam, it's like, you know, try harder. You know, there's this mentality yeah. of like, you know, hey, no, 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 figure it out on your own. And I think that that comes out a lot of us that have been doing this for a while too. It's like, you know, we almost come out with this mentality of like, well, I had to struggle with figuring things out. I didn't have all this. And, you know, I, and then for me, you know, it's led into my imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. probably not help people grow in their own right, but saying, well, I had to struggle with figuring things out. So, so do you, and it's not just the tech stuff. It really then becomes part of your, uh, the way that you, you know, we talk about things in the industry of like, you know, whether it be mental health, career progression, diversity, it's just like, well, you figured yeah. out, we all, we all had to suffer. And it's like, I don't, it's not exactly a great uh, <laughs> path for healing <laughs> when you're just like, right. Suffer exactly. through it yourself. Like I'm not going to rub sandpaper on my face. No, thanks. It's, it's yeah. that's not it. So, you know, what, what are some of the things that you've seen that have been helpful to get people quite frankly, to be more open about it and, and kind of lean into it or brace it? Honestly, stuff like this, like the more people openly talk about their own stuff, um, the more other people are willing to share their stories and be like, okay, well, you're going to a therapist and you talk about it all the time. I guess it's not that big of a deal. 
Um, and yeah, just normalizing it. Like nobody's going to think twice about you saying, oh, well, I have to go to the doctor and get my flu shot. Or I have to go, you know, get a yearly, you know, health checkup. Nobody thinks, nobody thinks twice about talking about that kind of stuff. Like there's no reason we shouldn't do the same thing with anything mental health related. Um, you know, because we all have like, whether you have healthy, you know, mental health or not, <laughs> like not, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to know somebody that's struggling. Well, it's funny too, right? You know, when I think about and just me being in Colorado, like a, a elite athletes, there was a, there was a documentary on HBO a couple of years ago for Lindsay Vaughn, you know, world-class mm-hmm. skier. And you look at her, you know, aesthetically looks like the perfect specimen of athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think, wow, she must not have anything. And then, you know, they they go into it and she's like, no, both her knees are shattered. She's in pain every day. You know, it's what you see on the outside doesn't always show what's underneath. Right. And it happens in physical, but it's like this weird thing where we we don't look at the same way with, with mental health. It's like, um, it, and that's one of the things I found very interesting is it's, you know, people don't look at the struggles that they have as mental health as something to say, yeah, it got me to that elite status in a certain way. Like I've had to struggle. Mm-hmm. I've had to break a few bones to get there um, yeah. and kind of put myself together. Um, you know, and for me, you know, I've always kind of equated to, you know, kind of almost being, you know, the, the wolf from um, Pulp Fiction. I can go in with the buildings on fire, act cool as a cucumber and solve the problems. But underneath, you know, there, there's been a lot of things and anxiety and, and other issues that, or scar tissue that allowed me to do that. <laughs> right. You know, it it yeah. doesn't, doesn't just happen overnight. So I've had to kind of embrace that. So what, you know, what are some of the, the things that you've seen helpful for people to say, well, look, you know, you know, wear those wounds. You know, what are some of the scars that you have that, that you can talk about that maybe gave you that upper hand? Oh, me personally? Yeah, you personally, <laughs> but also how you like, you know, what's some of the things I think it's so new, right? It's like people don't know yeah. what it is. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't, you know, speak for everybody, honestly. Right. I mean, none of us can, but, um, like the, the path, like not everybody has the same background. Right. Um, I, I got into InfoSec because or I got into it because I got pregnant in high school and like, couldn't, go into the military like I wanted to. So that was just like, okay, cool. I can type fast. So I'm going to go into IT now. Um, so there's like that, like hard work struggle. And, you know, that also, I think led to me not wanting to talk about it in the beginning because for so long I had to kind of just shut up and do stuff. Right. And kind of like struggle internally. But then when you get to a certain point and you see other people doing that, you can kind of, you know, talk them, talk them through kind of what you've been and you, what you've been through and kind of just give your own viewpoint on stuff. Like I never had, I don't think I ever had that growing up, right? Like college or even in like the beginning um, places where I went to work, nobody, nobody really talked about any of that kind of stuff. You would just, I don't know, you'd see somebody struggling and be like, oh, they, they got this. You know, uh, so other people's, um, you know, 
like those battle scars, you know, if, if they've, if they've had those and they can kind of pass it on without just making like the next generation worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think that kind of stuff helps. Yeah, and that goes into the work, the work well work space too. You know, I've seen yeah. more organizations, you know, and it's, it's kind of become over this blanket term, so to speak of neurodiversity, mental health, you know, where it all kind of encompasses, okay, like, our, our brains are wired a certain way, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. stop looking at it from a judgment's perspective. It's, you know, again, like what <laughs> the things that make me strong came with scars. Um, so it's not always this perf- state of perfection, let's say, you know, everything yeah. has a cause and right. effect relationship. So I think more organizations are starting to embrace that and say, okay, what makes somebody good might come with some, um, say detriments to their health like how and they've provided right. some ways to cope it and i've been I'm very fortunate now that splunk has a big push on this i'm seeing more more organizations have, have you seen that becoming more adopted uh, yes. with organizations where they're saying yeah the, these are you know don't look at it as a problem look as an opportunity so to speak you know how do, how do we yeah. how do we help people here and, and really capitalize on some of this Yep. I like, I think i mean co- um corporations are finally going back to oh my gosh the the physical and mental health of our people actually make our product work. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? Like when you have happy employees, like the customers are happy too. Good yeah, thought. it's amazing. Um, it's an actual real trickle down effect. Um, but yeah, we you know before it was just like everybody's being worked to death, right? You are the turnover rate in our industry and tech and STEM. I think in general is super high because you go into a place. Um, you were just like, you work, 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 work. And it's so stressful because like, you know, uh, with, you know, the stuff that we do, you miss, a, you miss something and there could be a breach, right. Or you go in, uh, to a real high stakes, like incident, uh, incident response type thing. And that's all super stressful. And I think now that, um, companies are starting to realize if you, if all of that stress just never stops, you turn over faster and then you have to start the process all over again, as opposed to kind of dialing it back a little bit and implementing like different mental and physical health things throughout, you know, the, the whole process, right? So like um, uh, what we have at Blumira is we have uh, like a free for all. If you, at any point in time during your week, you can, there's like four hours, no questions asked. You can just take off and do something for your mental health. Um, and, you know, we get stipends for like a work at home mental health stipends. You can use it for like yoga classes or therapy appointments or really whatever you want. Um, I, there's other uh, companies that I've seen that actually bring in like life coaches and financial planners and all of the things that can help reduce that stress and just make their people happier because, you know, those happy people are going to stay around longer. It's just going to be better for everybody. You know, you're, you know, the customers don't have to end up dealing with a new rep or, uh, you know, they, you don't have to retrain somebody all over again. And just, you know, generally happier, healthier people equals better results. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an amazing investment, right? I mean, if you think about yeah. how long it takes to onboard train somebody before you really start getting a, a level of productivity out of them that's financially viable, it could take over a year. And if we're oh, losing yeah. people every 18 months to two years, how much are you really getting out of them if you're not giving them that time? And I've seen that with you know many IR teams 
where I've struggled with, uh, where I ran my team a certain way with inside an organization, other people ran their others to burnout. And I'm like, no, it's just not, I'm like, I'm going to lose my staff. And yeah. I've spent a lot of time, like you said, you know, building those customer relationships, training them. I don't want to go through that again. It's going to, it's going to cost us more money in the long run for the, for the small incremental diminishing returns we get out of burning them out. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think I found, I, I could be wrong, but, um, I think it's for every dollar that you put towards um, any kind of like mental mental health uh, related program, you get like three three dollars back in increased productivity or something, um, because you know you're taking less emergency days off, um, you know, because of all of that, you know, all the mental health stuff can drastically impact your physical health. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it just a uh, compounding effect. Well, certainly. Yeah. And it, 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 then it, you know, it spirals, you know, it, I, like you said, it's kind of, it does, it becomes this, this vicious cycle, so to speak, you know, where yeah. people struggle at work, they go home, they bring it um, home <laughs> and then yeah. that can result to problems with their family. Uh, like I said, self-medication, which that it just can further exacerbate it. And it's like, it's early intervention. It's like, how, how far down the kill chain can we, <laughs> we get rid of this problem yeah, before, exactly. before it, it becomes much worse. And so I keep trying to frame things like that and almost in technical terms, people go, Oh, I can kind of get it now. Has, has there been any tools that you've come up with? And, you know, similarly to, within our industry to kind of draw those parallels that almost gives people those light bulb moments. Um, I, I really like the one that you made earlier on, um, uh, was it identifying threats, right? Like, and, and uh, like threat hunting. And, um, I think we should, we should just make like an ISAC for mental health. Seriously, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, isn't um, that kind of what you do with mental health? It seems like it's, 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 it's kind of geared towards that, um, yeah, yeah. data source gathering almost, right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more like AA for mental health. <laughs> um, you know, we can just support one another, um, and, you know, do what we can to, uh, just, yeah, reduce stigma is, is basically our goal, right? Reducing stigma, making sure people know that it's okay to get help, um, know that it's okay to talk about it and knowing that like they aren't alone dealing with all this all the stuff. And I, I mean, you know, we have our, we have our quarantine depression and now we're going to have seasonal, seasonal depression mixed with, you know, regular depression too. So well, it's, it's not a stressful election season either too. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Nope. This is great. Great year, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, there's, there's one theory I have on all this. Again, I, I always try to do this, you know, the stoic philosophy idea of the obstacles away. It's like, well, what if we just did all the bad things in one year this way that's out of the oh. way? Like we don't spread yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that idea. <laughs> well, it's, it's, the, the detrimental effects of that compound, it could be worse too. So I, I, uh, I, you, I haven't done the math. <laughs> you have no idea how many people get very angry at me. I tweeted something like, um, just hear me out. What if, uh, 2021 comes around and it's worse. Yeah, but it's it's <laughs> so many that, people were very mad at me. It's true though, and, and part of my you know part of my journey in therapy and counseling was was a lot of the issues that I felt with with again I need fires to put out. I need emergencies. I need crisis. I'm drawn to that. Like I'll, I'll run into a burning building excitedly looking to save people. That's just part of my DNA and who I am. Um, when I don't have that and there's white space and there's calm, I will make up stuff to deal with. Oh yeah. And so yep, that is my me. 100%. Is like, it's like, look, he's like, your brain Doug is wired 
to run away from that bear in the room. When there isn't a bear in the room, you start making up bears that aren't there. I'm like, yeah, yes. that's a pretty good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. So I, I constantly kind of in, invent these these crises to deal with. And it's, you know, it's affecting me at home. It's affecting me at work where people are like, hey, I really don't need your help on this problem. Why are you in my space? I'm like, because I already fixed all my problems in record setting time and I'm a rock star. Now I need to show you why you're doing it wrong. People are like, uh, no, thank you. That's You're now <laughs> kind of stepping on me. Please don't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to set those, those cadences. But one of the, one of the things that I, I came to was acceptance and commitment therapy. So it's kind of this evolution from just regular cognitive behavior therapy. And this idea that, look, look, man, bad things are going to happen. Be in the moment, kind of accept it and, and don't, you know, kind of, you know, I say like, I've heard this, the, the, the phrase, you know, depression's kind of living in the past and anxiety is living in the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just kind of have to live in this moment. It, it could 100% get worse. This might be the best day of your life, even though, you know, with everything that's going on with the election, I'm in Colorado and there's been forest fires. Who knows? You know, find the things to make it, you know, go go spend time with my daughter and to say, hey, just 30-minute walk. Maybe this is going to be the best moment. Um, and so you have to kind of lean into those things and say this this could be it and accept the fact that things can get worse. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's hard. So how how do you kind of manage that on a day to day basis? You know, being in security and you know, what are some of the tools and, and I don't say tricks per se, hacks maybe, but some of the things that you use within your toolkit to kind of get through those things to kind of reorient yourself. Um, so first off, I I never look down upon anybody or scoff at just the idea of uh, using uh, medication <laughs> because I am very well, not, I'm not like crazy medicated or anything. I know a lot of people that are on, you know, a a whole variety of stuff for multiple reasons, but I, I mean, I have worked my way through a couple different antidepressants and finally found one that fit. Um, and I, one of the, I mean, one of the things I've also learned was doctors kind of just throw meds at problems just to see what sticks when it comes to mental health, which is super scary. Um, because they don't know why things work a certain way. So they're like, this, I mean, in like 60% of the chance, you know, 60% of the time works this way here, try it. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, that, that whole realization that it wasn't super, you know, simple cut and dry. Like my doctor explained it to me was, was, uh, a lot to take in. Um, but other stuff like for me personally, keeping, uh, keeping a good schedule, So I make sure I add everything to my calendar. I exercise on a schedule every morning because if I get off of that schedule, things just kind of spiral out of control. Um, And, you know, exercise uh, increases your um, uh, serotonin levels. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of stuff you can do for that. You know, walking outside, getting fresh air. Um, we do yoga every, like I do, I do yoga with my kids and then we do it through work, uh, on Wednesdays. Um, and then when it comes to like the, one of the big issues that I have is, uh, like anxiety and panic attacks. And there's a lot of stuff that I can do to kind of help myself through those. So, um, there's these grounding, grounding techniques that work really well. Um, my favorite one is the five, four, three, two, one exercise um you do i think it's uh, five things you can see yes right so if you have five things you can see uh four things you can hear three things you can touch i think smell and then uh the last one is either 
taste or um, you're supposed to like say one good thing about yourself, which I like that. Uh, by the time I get to one, I've, I can sometimes think of something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cause I can usually tell when an anxiety attack is coming too. So, and, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, uh, another reason why I started, uh, mental health hackers, because I needed, you know, after working from home 24 seven all the time, and then I would go to a conference and be surrounded by people, I would freak out. Like my brain would freak out and I would just need to be somewhere quiet and safe and not like a normal conference, right? Where you're sitting there and there's people everywhere and noise and, and loud music and all that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, I've found that there's a couple different people I know that when I'm around, they have like my safe word for my mental health. So I can tell them or, or you know, because a lot of times during my anxiety attacks, I can't actually speak, um, which is scary. And, you know, if I can just like get out the one word, they're like, okay, time to go back to your room. Yeah. <laughs> like, let, <laughs> we could go sit in a quiet room and watch some TV. So um, yeah, there, there's a lot of different things that work for different people. Uh, but that's, that's what works for me. Yeah. I thought one of the you know, two things that really struck with me in, in, in dealing with the same, same type of issues and yeah, the medication thing I was so resistant to for so long. And this, I mean, this is, goes back to the nineties when I first started experiencing it teenage years. Cause I was like, no, I, you know, the time, you know, I was a very straight edge and vegan and it's like drugs, bad, blah, blah. It just, I set up the stigma yeah. for myself of like perfection that just doesn't exist and, and just not being mutable to, you know, new ideas, which was stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I was very resistant, but at the same point is, yeah, they, they tried different SSRIs and, you know, some of them just had really negative reactions and they're like, okay, well now we're going to have to wean off of that. And then you have to wait another three weeks. And I was like, kind of give me a little more heads up that we're just going to play Russian roulette with this. But they're like, yeah, we just, mm -hmm. we don't know how some of the stuff works. And I finally found, um, you know, in my more recent stuff, you know, something you know, like Lexpro, something at like a baby dose that just works perfectly to keep me from getting too far in and out of that band. Yeah. Um, and so medication was, you know, but the, yeah, but the time management thing, just setting a schedule is so incredible. And that was one of the things my, when I was really, you know, first moving out to Colorado, particularly, as you said, you know, I, I would, again, the, the anxiety that I faced was also fueled me to be successful in the same way where I would kind of consume that fuel um, and drive through it and almost like put blinders on. And then when that drive of being in New York City and not commuting two and a half hours each way and all the stuff that goes on in that and then being out in Colorado, it's beautiful, it's quiet. The silence was deafening. And all of a sudden my brain just starts kind of like going through things. And my therapist's like, you need to find a schedule. Like you, you cannot have this much open time on your calendar. He's again, whether, whether it's like you're going to work on the podcast or write or just don't, cause you're just obsessed about things and make up stuff and go crazy. Like you're, you're <laughs> just going to gnaw on things that don't exist. So he's like, you know, really get into a schedule. And I found that was something that helped me even pre moving out to Colorado. But you know, since then it's been really helpful for me to manage that level where it's like, okay, I can kind of be in a routine. You know, I'll write down like on a, on a, you know, not even on a computer, I'll write down on a notepad, three things I'm going to do today that are like the big things that mm -hmm. I focus on those. And I'll get those through in my deep work in the morning. I can then relax and everything else doesn't feel like the world's coming down on me. Right. So it's just setting that, that schedule became so important. But, but lastly, also again, you know, finding those, those people that you can talk to that can say, Hey, Doug, you're doing it again. I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. Because yeah, I'll go. I'll go, especially conference. Like I said, conferences. It's it's the Doug show. I'm on. It's on. And then it's like, man, I'm I'm walking I'm walking that edge from any moment where 
I can overdo it. And then, you know, it's like, oh crap, I, now I'm like freaking out, you know, it's, yeah. so to so somebody say, you know, just having friends around you that are open and honest about it, that can pull you back from, <laughs> from falling over the edge, quite frankly, is yep. so important. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, and that, that comes into things, you know, when, when, you know, we talk about maintaining a, a healthy work-life balance. And I think where a lot of people that I see struggling with coming in an industry is how to, how to set that structure because they're, they're fearful. People will have to, have to be utilized this much or the, the production output for people entering the industry is like, you know, we, we kind of use them like batteries. We'll, we'll burn them out and then throw them away. Yeah. What are some of the things like you, you would, you advise people on as they're kind of new in this industry that could be walking into this proverbial bear trap that they can help help themselves and their employers set those boundaries so they don't fall into some of these traps. Oh, find an employer that doesn't treat you like that. Yeah, it's usually <laughs> good. For that's true. Like, you shouldn't be afraid to ask for that, right? Yeah, and, and and I know it's you know easier said than done, but you know I've been I've been interviewing people recently for some positions we have open, and some of you know half of them have asked, "All right, what's the work life balance like? What you know? Are you cool with me?" leaving for these hours or these, these times to like put my kids on the bus and, you know, feed them lunch or do this and this. And you should have a company that's cool with that. Like not being tied to a desk and struggling your way through, especially now, like when so many people have kids at home or, you know, can't, you know, can't get out of the house. Um, you need to, you need to have the flexibility to be able to get up and away from your desk every now and then, whether you have kids or not, right? You know, that that might just look like going and hanging out with your pets or going for a walk or doing something just to keep your sanity because you can't, you know, go, 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 go and not burn out. Yeah, it, it's it's funny as I started interviewing, I would say, and I had to say that use the term millennials but it really is i mean it's that kind of age group so to speak they'll come out where i would say to them i was like i will give you x amount of money and says and you know the the utilization expectations of this and revenue projections so like yeah i want my weekends i'm like i wasn't expecting that as a response you know yeah. where folks are like no like my weekends or this thing that i do ex- existentially from work and my home life is important to me yep i was like wow that's that was kind of a nice thing. And I, and I, you know, it's funny you mentioned too, with, with the current state of things, um, I've also noticed some of the work norms that people would, you know, particularly early on in the, in the, in the pandemic with Zoom calls <laughs> is, you know, people were more dressed up and like, oh, I'm so sorry, my kid or my dog. Now it's just like, we all just no kind of roll cares. with it because you know, it really is how much of it was just BS to begin with. And it's like, I have been scarily probably one of my most productive years, not being on the road, not traveling, not doing a lot of the things I thought was so important as far as the work structure. Yeah. It's like, in the end of the day, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? And it's like, oh yeah, we still got it done. And, yeah. and having that adaptability is, is, is important. Um, it, it's just, it's just, it's a fun issue where people, I, I'm hoping that there's a humanization that comes out of COVID <laughs> that, uh, yeah. you know, it, it kind of was kind of a black light on a lot of the issues. Has there been anything specific, you know, outside of that maybe or, or, or conjunction with that, you know, that you've seen with COVID that you said, okay, yeah. And silver lining, what, what are some of the things that through this, that you've either had to adapt and grow from or, or seen others? So definitely for me, the first thing I realized, so I've, I've worked from home for like six years. And working from home, when you have people in the office, you miss a lot. 
Yeah. Like even, even people really trying to communicate things, you know, you'll be in Slack and there's a conversation going on that you have no context to because something happened in person, you weren't there. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Everybody's communication skills have gotten a bunch better because then the people that were always in the office realized what it was like to be at home mm. and be like, oh, well, I can't just like shout over to the other side of the room to this person. Like we have to get everybody involved. Yeah, it's 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 gotten much like after the initial like huge influx of Zoom calls, um, it was huge. Like we were having several a day and it was it was a little much. Um, now it's kind of equaled out to like a, a nice happy medium. So that def definite silver lining for me. Yeah, it's funny. I think I think you're right on the communication. Like you, again, you have to kind of adapt and overcome to new communication things. Um, and you know, it's 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 having your arm tied behind your back, quite frankly. There's not much you can do at times, and you have to say, okay, I'm just going to have to handle this differently than getting up and walking over somebody and hovering over them. Yeah. To like, <laughs> so, right. So it, it's it's yeah, definitely. Now in reflecting on that, I think I've definitely kind of adapted. Um, but going back to, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the mental health hackers. So, like, how how is that structured? How do people get involved? What what what's the what's the meat on the bones with that? Um, so yeah, we started about two years ago now, and uh, before you know all the quarantine happened, we were just traveling around all these different conferences and basically running just another village. So it would be a room where you could, you know, the lights were dimmed and there was soft music and you could kind of, we have air loungers, you could chill out in. Um, most of the places we were able to afford getting uh, chair massages. Nice. Like have professional people come in and do chair massages. We would do yoga in the mornings, which after being out to the bar until like 3 a.m., eight o'clock yoga isn't the best idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I still, still got it done. Um, and then we would have like a huge thing that, that came up uh, uh, right as, you know, all this stuff was happening is people really got into um, knitting, which I didn't think a lot of people would be into because again, like I don't see a, a whole lot of dudes knitting. And it was amazing how many guys would just like sit around a table and chill and knit. It was the coolest thing ever. Um, so we, we had a bunch of that stuff and just other like fidget toys and coloring books and all that kind of stuff. So the coloring and we were, books, right? Isn't that? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. So a couple years ago, my sister's had, she had all these adult coloring books. I was like, this is the dumbest thing. Five hours later, I'm sitting at the table still doing it. And we're chatting. I'm like, you know, it almost right? reminds me, like, like the same thing like you say with knitting. It it reminds me of lockpicking where I'll just sit yes. there and fidget and lockpick and do just it. Just mindlessly. And it's so relaxing. There's a tactile feel to it. I hear the sound. And it's, there's something sensory about those types of activities that yep. I think feeds into our brain that, yeah, I would love to see studies of like what happens neurologically with that. It's almost like a meditative session, you know? Right. Yeah. You, yeah. We should, we should, uh, you know, have, have brain scans done like while you're doing an active IR investigation and then you just turn it off and go color. <laughs> I really should. Well, it, and that brings up a good point too, right? Like I would, I would go to conferences. I would run a major IR operation for, you know, 80 straight hours. And then, you know, going to that work, work life balance, you know, I would come home and just either be a monster or just be unresponsive. My wife and daughter's like, what the hell's wrong with you? I was like, I'm, I'm burnt out. And I'm it's, veg, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's finding those, those little things to maybe, you know, do that. You know, we, we started doing puzzles 
like crazy over the COVID thing. And that is same kind of thing. It's just like, it's quiet and it's, you touch it. It helps balance out the, uh, the adrenaline, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. So, it, so it, again, like is, I see, you know, with the mental health hackers site, there's a call for papers. I mean, how, how can we champion this to, to more conferences and, and, and get this more involved or, or do you have a good footprint on that? Yeah, so a lot of times um, conferences will contact us and we have a good working relationship with about 30 of them at this point, um, where we'll either have our own full-blown track in our room or they'll just give us so many slots to fill with mental health-related talks. Oh, nice. And yeah, they're they're anywhere from, we've had, you know, we have people in our industry that their uh, husbands and wives are actually like therapists or psychologists or whatever, and they will come talk, you know, because they are the professional, but they also kind of see the infosec side of it, you know, with their significant other being in it. Um, and then we'll, you know, down to like uh, people just talking about their experiences or things that have worked for them. We have people talking like, we have a talk that uh, normalizes therapy and kind of, uh, you know, busts down any myths that you may have heard about therapy and counseling. Um, we have people that talk about like how they do their organizational skills for pen tests and like that kind of stuff, super valuable because, you know, organization is super stressful for some people and just like taking somebody else's ideas and be like, Oh, this is now what I'm going to do. And, and, kind of taking the thought process out of that and, and seeing that they work for somebody else. Um, yeah. So uh, we do that really anywhere they'll have us. Um, and then we just do normally just a regular CFP. Sometimes we use our site. Sometimes um, the conferences use their like normal CFP and they'll just send us the ones that they've approved. Um, and yeah. So and anytime we have a conference up there, we usually uh, try and uh, push it out via social media or whatever. Do you think there's more subjects or maybe talk tracks that people should, or that you, you would like to see more of, let's say it that way, that, that, that might be missing? Because um, I know what I talk about. I mean, it's about my journey and my anxiety and right. depression, but mm -hmm. that's limited to me. So I'm always curious yeah. of what other things are that we might be missing. Yeah, there's... It people always amaze me with the topics that they want to talk about. Um, I could never even come up with more ideas than, than <laughs> what there has been. And that's, so that's the kind of, kind of the downside of this. It's like, we don't record any of our talks. Right. Right. Because a lot of times they're super personal and that person might not want that out on the internet forever. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of a downside of it, but I think we're, we're going to start looking for people that want to record and like put them out on our website. Cause we finally turned on like our blog function. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, writing blogs and, and publishing talks about that. We've had like sexual abuse survivors talk about that kind of stuff. Um, uh, one of our um, volunteers, Mandy, she had, um, I hope I get this right. I think she had a brain stroke. I can't remember. She had, some crazy bad physical stuff happened to her a few years ago. And she talked about like the depression and everything after that and having to recover. Um, and yeah, just really anything related to bettering mental health is anything that we would look for. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to, to find, you know, kind of birds of a feather that other people are speaking, speaking about this again. You know, when, when I started, 
talk about it, I've never had such a response to talk tracks on things yeah. and, and people thanking me. And, and to this day, I mean, I, I gave it over a month ago at first time was at uh, Wild West Hacking Fest. And that was that was hard. I was shaking afterwards. I mean, that was that was cathartic yes. as hell. I was <laughs> yeah, like, I can't hard. believe I just talked about this. I mean, these are things that, again, I was it was kind of that imposter syndrome thinking back and like, they're going to find out I'm a fraud, that I have these issues, and they're going to fire me. And yeah. no, you know, people yeah. are like, no, it actually, it's... And it was it was a relief for me. I mean, there was again there was a up and down of that, but it was it's I can't stress how important it is that if you are struggling with these types of things to talk about. As hard as it is, it's you know finding the right platform and a support group to do it in a non judgmental way is is very healthy. Um, yeah. You know, and with that, you know, I think a lot of people do have that stigma of going out and getting help. You know, before we kind of sign off, what would be? And I, I, I want to try to think of these things and these these new talks on the podcast. You know, what what are actionable items? And to me, it's thinking, you know, what what are the things that people could look for when trying to seek help? Um, you know, what are some of the? You know, I, I you know, I'm just thinking counseling is the first step that I would think. You know, from existential, from you know, regular self care kind of things. I don't yeah. know if you have another thought, but you know, what what are some of the things that people would should look for or try to do and consider yeah i mean counseling is definitely one of them that's one that's one of our like big lofty goals is being able to um get like some corporate sponsors and pay for people's counseling that can't afford it (laughs) we just need more money um so if you know any like super rich companies that want to you know pay for people's counseling just send them over my way um because not everybody's you know plan pays for it Right. Like mm-hmm. for me to go to a counselor, it is 120 bucks every time. Yeah. I can't do that every week. Yeah. Yeah. People can't do that even monthly. Um, I could barely do it every <laughs> month. Um, but yeah, it's counseling is a good first step, but also there's so much self-help stuff out there. Like I, I there's, uh, there's some really good books on, um, uh, what is it? Cognitive, uh, the one therapy. Oh, a behavior uh, therapy. Uh, yeah. Th- yep. Thank you. Yeah. CUT, cognitive behavior therapy. Um, there's workbooks that you can go through. Like when you realize that you're struggling with something, it'll be, it. they're super cool. Yeah. Like um, I, I can't remember the name of the book, but if you just look up like CBT workbooks, there's just like worksheets you can go through saying, all right, is this, uh, I know one of the ones that I did not too long ago um, makes you work through a problem and think about the worst possible income uh, outcome of what you're stressing about. Yeah. And all right, th- that's the worst possible thing. Will that, will that matter in a week? Will that matter in a year? Is it, you know, going to be, does it affect this or that? And you know, you realize this super tiny thing that you're stressing about, like, oh, no, that's not going to matter. Like, even if it's, chances are the worst possible outcome isn't going to happen. Yeah. And even if it does, you're still going to survive. Right. It's almost, again, almost equated back to, uh, to risk assessment. It's like, you know, when people say, oh my God, there's this new SSL vulnerability. Well, do you have any web web facing apps required? No. And it's like, oh, so what's the worst that can happen? You know, it is, it's it's framing the vulnerabilities and risks in a way. And I I found like in business too, you know, going through that exercise and I've tried to equate some of these mental exercises from behavior therapy to work. Same thing. Let's, let's work with, well, we want this to happen. I was like, okay, let's think about in the worst case. What if it does like, will, will the company be destroyed if we do this and it fails? 
Yeah. Maybe, probably not. Right. <laughs> and people go, oh yeah, this kind of puts it puts things in perspective. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's just like one example of yeah. you know oh, hundreds of them that are in these workbooks. So, you know, that's that's also a, a fairly good you know first step trying trying to see what you can do on your own if you don't want to go jump into you know therapy or counseling right away. Yeah. Well, man, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. So, where where can people find you online? Uh, so uh, Twitter's probably best. So I'm at InfoSister. It's I-N-F-O-S-Y-S-T-I-R. And uh, Mental Health Hackers, it is at Hackers Health. Awesome. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes with links to all that. And again, thank you so much for being open and honest and sharing your struggles and journeys and, and what's working for you. I think, I think this is uh, this is great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to working more with you to remove the stigma of mental health and cybersecurity. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Anytime. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.